with the psalmist a bit ago, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do we believe it? The psalmist is so clear and so confident about who God is for him. And I wonder, what about you? Who is God for you? Of all the images of God in the Bible, the ones presented in this morning's psalm provide us some of the strongest reassurances. God is light and salvation. God is our stronghold. The Lord will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. If we want any God at all, this may be the one we want the most. The protector, the avenger, the rescuer God whose strength and might will give us confidence and keep us from harm. This is the God that we turn to when we need help, when life gets tough and things get desperate. This is the God who will punish evil and vindicate good. This is the God we want on our side. And when Jesus came, this seems to be what people were expecting from him, that he would stand up to the bad guys, help the good guys, and set everything right. He would be the Lion of Judah, coming to rule with God's power and might. Only, that's not what happened. Jesus did not come like a lion at all. John tells us he came like a lamb. Jesus himself used an altogether different metaphor. It happened on the long road to Jerusalem. Some Pharisees had come to warn him of the danger ahead. Get away from here, they said. Herod wants to kill you. Now, this is Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee and one of the sons of Herod the Great. His father had tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, and now the son, these Pharisees are warning Jesus, wants to kill him too. Are the Pharisees really trying to warn Jesus or simply trying to frighten him so he will reduce his public profile and they can control him a little better? Well, actually, anything is possible, but most scholars feel like the Pharisees were honestly conveying a true warning. Luke, often in his writings, does not necessarily always portray the Pharisees as being bad people. The Pharisees knew the evil nature of Herod. They knew he had already killed John the Baptist, so perhaps the warning was genuine. However, our understanding of this passage does not depend on whether it is Herod, the Pharisees, or both that pose a danger to Jesus. Jesus' response is just defiant. He knows he is going to die, but not because of Herod's plans. His death will be on God's terms, not Herod's. His death will not be as a victim, but as the completion of his mission. It is part of what he came to do. And so he responds, you tell that fox for me. I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow and the next day. And on the third day, I finish my work. So today and tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way. Such a bold, strong resistance to the powers that threaten. 
Jesus knows the danger, but he is unfazed. He will neither flee from Herod or allow the Pharisees to dissuade him from his goal. He is following his father's agenda. Now let's look at this conversation for just a moment. Go tell that fox. In rabbinical literature, fox is often used as a term of contempt. And the third day, Luke uses this phrase frequently to refer to Jesus' resurrection. Now by the time that this scripture was written for others to see, Jesus will have already been crucified and resurrected, and Jerusalem will be in ruins following a complete Roman overtake in 70 AD. The words, I will complete my mission, is from the very same Greek word that Jesus used on the cross when he said, it is finished. Luke purposefully wants us to hear echoes of the resurrection in this passage. But now comes a shift in tone. His defiance turns to sadness. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The repetition of a name often signifies painful grief or great frustration, and these words just resonate with love, longing, and anguish. And did you hear what he compared himself to? Not a lion, not a lamb, but a mother hen. It is not the first time in scripture that feminine images are used for the divine. It's not even the first time in scripture that God is compared to a female bird. Multiple times in the Old Testament, God is imagined as an eagle sheltering her young. As an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters over her young, Deuteronomy announces, as she spreads her wings, takes them up, and bears them on her wings, so the Lord did lead Jacob. The female eagle is larger than the male, and she is the one who carries her young on her wings when it's time for them to leave the nest. Well, my husband and I have found an eagle's nest here in Butler County. See me afterwards. I'll give you the directions. And in the evening, we often go over to watch the mommy and daddy eagle parenting their three babies. And it is a wonderful thing to behold. So in order to teach them to fly, the mother eagle will put the little fledgling on her back, take off into the air, and swoop into the air up high, and then she just glides out from under them, forcing them into the air alone. But she always flies close enough so that she can slide back under them when they become too tired or too weak to continue. What a gorgeous image of how God nurtures us, helps us toward growth, and protects us in our weakness. I bore you on eagles' wings, God says in Exodus, and I brought you to myself. The image of God as a mother eagle is an image invoking light and height and power and majesty. It's the kind of strength and protection that we want from our God, especially when we're afraid. And there is substantial biblical witness that God, like a mother eagle, offers that to us. But 
This is not how Jesus talked about himself. After sharp words for that fox Herod, he turns to Jerusalem and offers himself not as an eagle, but as a mother hen. Well, we might have preferred a rooster. Roosters are tough. They have razor-sharp spurs on the backs of their legs as if they were made for fighting. And those birds really will fight. People pay money to watch roosters fight to the death. So if Jesus was going to compare himself to a farm animal, why not at least a rooster? Well, I grew up on a farm, and my family raised chickens. We would have only one rooster for the whole flock because otherwise the roosters would fight each other instead of protecting the hens. And one day when we were out, a pack of wild dogs got into the hen house and killed every single hen, but not the rooster. That old rooster strutted around outside the fence. His tail feathers were gone. Some of his skin was missing, but he was alive. He had flown the coop to get away from those dogs. When danger threatens, roosters will fight or they will fly, but they will not just stay around to die. Not so with a mother hen. When danger threatens, whether it's a dog or a fox or a hawk, the first thing that a hen does is to call her little chicks. And she has this very particular kind of clucking that she does. When the chicks hear it, they come running to her to take cover underneath her. And once they are all safely underneath her, she fluffs herself up really big so that you cannot even see them under there. She covers them up and almost sits on them like she did before they were hatched. A rooster may fight to the death, but a hen will protect her chicks to the death. For her, it isn't fight or flight. It's love and protect. The fox may come to get her, but she will not budge from her brood. She will stay, and she will put her body between her chicks and the predator, and she will die before she lets him get them. So when the sly fox Herod was on the prowl, Jesus declared himself to be like that mother hen. On the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem, on the spot where Jesus wept over the city that rejected him, there stands a little Franciscan chapel called Dominus Flavit, which means the Lord wept. And didn't we give him so much reason to cry? The sanctuary of that chapel was built in the shape of a teardrop. And over the altar is an enormous arch picture window that looks out into the holy city that Jesus wept for. The front of the altar is adorned with a mosaic medallion depicting a white hen with a golden halo. Her wings are spread wide and underneath her are seven pale yellow chicks with their little black eyes and their little orange beaks. It's hard to tell whether they're running towards her or away from her. In a ring around the medallion in red letters are these words in Latin. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And then you see under the little chick's feet, 
In a pool of red are the final words of Jesus' lament, and you were not willing. And you were not willing. If you have ever tried to help or reach or protect someone who could not accept it or the love that came with it, then you know something of that deep ache behind those terrible words. You were not willing. Perhaps we can best imagine Jesus' broken heart by imagining our son or daughter going astray or making bad decisions. We want so desperately to protect them from harm, but realize that we cannot stop them from making mistakes. We can offer them shelter, but cannot force them to accept it. And at some point, they must stretch their wings and try to fly. And we ache when they stumble. Our hearts break when they fall. These words were directed at Jerusalem for whom he wept, but they're also directed to us today. Willing. It's a word that actually appears in this short passage three times, although it doesn't sound like that in English. The Greek word is stello. It means will, wish, want, desire. Herod wishes to kill Jesus. Jesus desires to gather the children of Jerusalem under his wing, but the children do not will it. It is very clear that what Herod wants and what Jesus wants and what the children of Jerusalem want are all in conflict and competition. And what about you? What do you want? Are we willing to receive shelter under the wings of the Almighty? You know, we cherish shelter when the chips are down when the world seems to be coming unglued, and at times like that, we kneel and we ask for help. But in more usual times, sadly, Jesus often gets relegated to the back seat, and we go where we want to go, and we do what we want to do. How I long to gather you, Jesus said, and you were not willing. And if we are not, then why not? Is it because someone who gives himself over like a defenseless mother hen doesn't inspire our confidence? Or is it because maybe we're more like the foxes, ready to take what we can, however we can, willing to fight tooth and nail to protect ourselves and preserve what we have? Is that how we understand power? Or is the problem that we are simply too distracted, too preoccupied, too busy, with our own concerns, to hear his voice calling, crying to gather us in. Jesus is always doing this to us, saying, yes, come, come to me. And with all the noise in our lives, do we even recognize his voice anymore? What keeps you from hearing and responding? In the end, Jesus died the way the mother hen does when a predator tries to attack her young. Her body flung between us and the powers that menace harm, and not one of his brood huddled beneath him. But it's not too late to hear his voice and to come to him. Having loved us to the end, he loves us still. And yes, the foxes did get him, but they could not kill his love for us and nothing can keep us from him except our own unwillingness. 
He is still crying for us, begging for us, under those great outstretched arms of love. And we still have a choice between the way of the fox or the way of the hen. We always have a choice. Under his wings, we won't find the kind of rescue we might want from the mighty God. The things that we fear will not simply disappear. Our difficulties in life will not all be magically solved and we do not get the kind of power we might think we need. Under his wings, we don't find what we think we need. We find what we actually need, a love that is stronger than death, a power that redefines what power is by what it gives, and a brood of others that have been gathered under his sheltering love. His love doesn't only shelter, it empowers. We will find under his wings our own wings, not alone, but together. And with courage and love like his, we stand together against the foxes of this world, refusing to run from the powers of darkness. We refuse to fight on the world's terms. We stand with and for the chicks, the weak, the defenseless, the victimized, the lost, the lonely, whoever needs a mother's sheltering love. And we can extend the wings of Christ's love in every way we can. And we can love the same way that we have been loved by the one who gave his own life to gather us all in. Let us pray. <clears throat>